This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, guys, and Merry Christmas. Uh, I'm Jeff Heiser. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Uh, it is just a joy to worship with you this morning and to preach to you from God's Word. Uh, we as a church are celebrating the Advent season. We do this every year. We take some time to kind of set apart in our, the Christmas season, the Advent season, or a year to kind of focus in on the incarnation, the fact that the God the Son became a human being um, 2,000 years ago. It's not something that we have to do, um, but it's something that it's not prescribed in the Bible to celebrate Advent, but it is something that we're free to do as Christians, and we love to do it here at Trinity. We think it prepares our hearts um, during this time and kind of centers us on the Lord, which is, of course, what we want to be doing um, with our lives. So this year, our sermon series um, during Advent is focused on the theme of renewal. We believe that the, the, Christmas, that the story of Christmas is a story of hope, hope that in a baby born in Bethlehem was and is the promise that the curse of sin would be defeated and that God is going to finally and totally restore and renew His creation to the way that He wanted it and made it to be. Our Christian hope is that all will be made right again, and it begin, that hope begins and ends with a baby boy born in a stable 2,000 years ago. You know, it's providential that this week our, um, our Advent reading was on the visit of the shepherds, because today we're going to be talking about shepherds and sheep. Um, in our passage today, which is in Ezekiel 34, the people of God, or Israel, um, were compared to a herd or a flock of sheep. And our passage today paints a picture of a community that has been broken and, and abused and is in a desperate need of renewal and desperate need of hope that only Christmas can bring. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience of reading or hearing about something from the past, like so, if someone is critiquing a feature of the past, that, um, and you, when you think about the problem that they're critiquing, it is way worse today and so when you, when you hear their critique, it kind of terrifies you. Um, I had a, one of the things that just, one of the um, experiences of this that sticks in my brain is Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. He wrote it in the 80s. You got to read this book. It's so good. And he wrote it in the 80s, and he was describing how media, what he's talking about then is the 24-hour news cycle was destroying our civilization. And so when you read that book and then you think about like social media today and how the 24-hour the news cycle is small peanuts, right? We're like an order of magnitude worse now. And you, it's terrifying to read that book <laughs> because you think we are so much worse. We're falling apart. What is happening? That book is terrifying. Well, I had a similar experience this week when I was reading something um, by the theologian John Calvin. Calvin um, he was a reformer from the 16th century, and um, if you don't know his name, in, in one of his commentaries, he quotes what's an old French proverb. It's not, I don't know how this translates, but you know, it's, it's uh, an old French proverb, and this is what he, um, the proverb is. He says, we must howl with the wolves. We must howl with the wolves because the wolves will immediately devour everyone who makes himself a sheep. Right? We must howl with the wolves because the wolves will immediately devour anyone who makes himself a sheep. In other words, if you aren't a wolf, you'd better start acting like one because if you don't, you will get eaten. You will get crushed, right? Eat or be eaten. That's the, that is the proverb. Now, don't you think that's kind of how our world works? Like, I mean, 
We, we just, like, everything is just a zero-sum game where if you don't win, you for sure lose, and no one will allow that to happen. I think maybe the most uh, obvious example is, like, our political discourse, which is so extreme and so divisive. And I know that all of us have just, like, fantasized about having this, like, mic-dropping comment on the Facebook feed that finally puts that person in their place permanently. Wouldn't that be sweet? Oh, it just would be so great. You know, I have, I have, the, I sometimes still, this is, this is bad, but I still sometimes think about um, in college, right? This is like 12 years, no, sorry, eight years ago. It was in 2012, okay? Eight years ago. Um, when I had this professor that was like just trying to really erode the, the, you know, our confidence in the Bible. And I just like, sometimes I still think about like, oh, what I could have said to just like crush him. It would have been so great. Right? I like zero-sum game. I must be a wolf. I must at least act like a wolf so that I, don't be, I won't be a sheep. We don't, no one wants to get run over. No one wants to be a sheep. But our passage today speaks to a society or a community that has been destroyed by the wolves. Or rather, is a community that has been destroyed by shepherds, right? The, the leaders and in fact, it's not, ju- not just them, but also the other sheep who, like, they, they had all decided that it was best to be wolves. Like, they must act like wolves. The shepherds and the sheep were all acting like wolves, and it had just ripped this community apart. And it's to the sheep, like the, the sheep sheep, like the, the sheep that are not wolves, the weak, the downtrodden, the abused, the, the struggling, the, the, the oppressed that God, through the prophet Ezekiel, in our passage today, speaks words of comfort and hope. Um, last weekend, Cecilia and I had the opportunity to go to Cueva Ventana, which is a cave system out in um, Arecibo. And during the tour that they give you of these caves, they, there's this one point where they have you turn off all your lights. You click off the flashlights, and you can't really see your hand in front of your face. It is like that darkness that is like heavy, you can feel it. It's like, wait, it is so dark. Um, but you have in your hand a flashlight. And that flashlight, you are just so thankful for it because you know that at any time you can turn that on and you can get out of that cave. There's hope. The Advent season is kind of like that. The Advent season is a time where, where, where we take time to sit in the darkness. We take time to sit in kind of the pain and darkness of this life and of our world. But we have a flashlight. We have light. We have a hope. And the Christmas season is when we remember that hope and it is in the darkness that we, that we lean more fully into the hope that was born in a manger. And so my, um, my, my sermon this morning is going to kind of follow that, that story, that narrative where we're going to sit in the darkness. And so my first point is the situation of the flock, right? That's the darkness. And then the, the light, the hope that we have is going to be the promise of a shepherd. So the situation of the flock and the promise of the shepherd. So let's read our passage. If you would, if you're willing and able, please stand with me out of reverence to God's Word. Our passage this morning comes from Ezekiel 34. Um, this is going to be verses 11 through 24. Here now the reading of God's Word. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. 
As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land." There they shall lie in good grazing land, and on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. The situation of the flock. Whenever we jump around in our Bibles like we do in Advent, we always take a little bit of time to kind of sit in the context, remind ourselves of the context. And um, it's important because we, we need to remember that the Bible wasn't written to us. Right? It, wasn't, it was written to specific people at a specific time, and yet it was written for us. And so we need to know the context that we're stepping into as we, um, as we read these passages, as we study them. Um, fun fact about the book of Ezekiel. It is the fourth largest book in the Old Testament. I bet you didn't know that, but it's probably the one of the least known. I, I mean, did you guys even know that this passage was in here? It's so beautiful. We don't. Um, the book of Ezekiel was written to... The people of Judah um, during while they were in exile in Babylon. Um, if you remember, the exile is God's judgment on Israel for their rejection of Him. Right? They had rejected Him, and so He He sent nations to conquer them, to take them out of the land, and to and to bring them um, to in in bondage to to Babylon out of their their homeland. And. And you know who God holds primarily responsible for the, their, Israel's rejection of him? Well, he holds the leadership primarily responsible, the shepherds. And in fact, in Ezekiel's case, he's primarily talking about the failed monarchy. When he talks about the shepherds, he's primarily talking about the kings of Israel who had completely failed and completely rejected God and led the people with them. 
You know, the kings of Israel, they were supposed to be taking care of the flock, but instead they'd been taking advantage of them. If you were to read the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34, it's really interesting. What it says in there is it says that they were eating the meat of the sheep and they were wearing their wool as clothes, but they weren't feeding them. It's like they're, they're, the, the, these leaders, they're using the people, but they're, not, but they're starving them. Right? They're, they're taking advantage of them, but not caring for them as they're supposed to do. They're forgetting to do the very thing that they are called by God to do. You know, we see these, this happen. It's really easy for leaders to kind of take advantage of those that are under them. We see this, um, you know, maybe one of the um, a kind of a dark example is when a parent lives vicariously through their children. You know, there might be some good there where it's like, okay, you know, I made mistakes that I don't want my kid to make, or I wish I'd had X, XYZ experience that I want my kid to have, right? That, that might be good. But when it gets really dark is when the parents, there is a hole in the parent's heart, and they are trying desperately to force their child to fill that hole so that they can be whole again. It's like, the shepherd is using the sheep. They're supposed to be caring for their child, caring for their needs, and instead they're using their children to fulfill their needs. It's dark. You know, um, it's really easy for pastors to become abusive shepherds. It's really easy. Because, you know, we stand up here on stage. And you, you know how many people that we have met and talked to and know who have been hurt badly by pastors who are care more about their ego than they do about caring for the flock. You know, pastors, they have affairs. and they, Why? Because they just need that next hit of affirmation, and they're desperate for it. They would rather feed and pad their egos than they would care for the people of God. And what happens when pastors do that? Well, um, churches dissolve, churches scatter, people leave the faith, right? Abusive pastors always leave a trail of wounded and lost people. And the question is, who will hold them accountable? Because the law isn't, the law doesn't really care. Who will hold them accountable? Well, God will. And that's what this passage is about. God's saying, I will hold them accountable. And not only that, I will do what they have failed to do. And that's exactly um, what is going on here when Israel, the people are scattered. They, they, are, they are lost. They, are, um, they, they have been um, completely abandoned by the ones that are supposed to be taking care of them. They're food for wild beasts, right? The, the, the kings who are supposed to be shepherds have proved themselves to be wolves. And God's renewing of this community is going to start with his purging of the abusive wolves from their midst, the abusive shepherds from their midst. But here's the problem, is that the, the problem doesn't stop with the shepherds. There's also abuse, abuse and neglect among the flock as well. Uh, think about it like this. You know um, the father who, uses this, like, who lives vicariously through their child in a bad way? What happens to that child? How does that child learn to relate? If his, if his father is using him for his own selfish needs, how does that child learn to relate to other people? Well, they learn to use them for their own selfish needs. 
right? If you, if you ever meet people that, like, they're, they're not on talk, talking terms with their siblings, usually that starts with a dysfunctional relating with the parents. Like, the sheep learn and mimic what the shepherds do. And that's exactly what happened in Israel. The, the sheep had learned how to act from the abuse of shepherds. And that's what's happening in our passage when it says that God will judge between the sheep and the sheep. Look at verse 21. He says, Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. You know, God's saying, like, you guys eat and you drink, but you are indifferent to others. You only live for yourself. The strong are neglecting and abusing the weak, and God hates it. He does not. He's not okay with it. And I think um, we do something um, somewhat analogous in the church today where um, our church culture, like the way that we preach even, the, the characteristics that we value, um, the, it privileges certain people and it leaves others on the outside. It leaves others on the fringes, not really welcome. You know, we, we love um, the well-spoken, the cool, the successful, the beautiful, but the awkward um, the, one, the people that are genuinely kind of hard to talk to. You know, well, let's just say that they, we probably wouldn't miss them all that much. Like, that happens in the church. You know, Jesus said when he was on it, he said, you will know, they will know you by your love for one another. And yet love for one another is far down the list of our priorities. Like some, I mean, some of us don't even know how to love people that are not exactly like us. Like, we don't even know how. You know, maybe we just actually love ourselves. That is what's going on in our passage, and God does not like it. He hates it. In God's flock, the strong sheep are supposed to care for the weak sheep. God asks us in this passage, he says, what is your MO? What is, how do you treat one another? Do you use your strengths against one another or for one another? You know, a, a community that only uses the, their strengths for themselves is a community that fractures, a community that falls apart, a community that does not survive. And that's what happened in Israel, right? The leadership had abused the sheep for their self, own self-interest. The sheep themselves had neglected their brothers and, and, and sisters and just this like self-centered indifference. And it happened in Israel for generations, and they desperately needed a shepherd. So that's what's going on in Israel. That is the situation of the flock. What about a shepherd? What, what's this promise of a shepherd? And I want to start with this question. Do you need guidance? Do you think that you need guidance? Do you believe that you need to be led? Because um, I don't know if you could um, insult me worse than to call me a sheep. Like, oh, Jeff, he's such a sheep. Like, is there a worse insult? I mean, that's like, it's, you know, you just have, it conjures up this image of someone that's like humble and naive and like kind of weak, 
like a follower. No potential for leadership, right? They're a sheep. But the Bible is very clear that you and I are in Cueva Ventana and the lights are turned out. And we desperately need someone to take our hand and to lead us into the light. Like we are sheep, the sheep of a good shepherd. So who is the shepherd? Two questions. Who is the shepherd and what does he do? Okay, first, who is he? I'm not going to leave us in suspense. We know who he is. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The shepherd of God's people is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. He says, uh, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And in verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. So the, the shepherd is God himself, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The living God is the shepherd. And yet, read verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So the shepherd is David as well. Or rather, it's um, a son of David, a king from the lineage of David, the true and faithful king of Israel. So which is it, right? Is it God? Is it David? What is it? Well, of course, we on this side of Christmas, we know that God himself became a man, and he was born in a manger. And so this, um, he, a descendant of David, right, of the kingly line of David, the king came, the shepherd came, and it was Lord Jesus Christ. We Christians believe that Jesus fulfills this passage perfectly and totally. And in fact, Jesus knew it too. You know, if, we, if you were to turn your Bibles to um, John chapter 10, you guys know this passage. It's such a sweet passage that we love and know. It's, um, and, and Jesus says to his disciples, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You know, and we often tie this to Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. But really, Jesus is referring to this passage, this passage that we don't even know, this passage. And Jesus is saying, I am that shepherd. Or how about um, in Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men come to visit Jesus, and they are talking to Herod. Do you guys remember this part of the story? They're talking to Herod, and Herod's like, what are we talking about? And they quote a prophecy, and this is what it says, about and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That baby laid in a manger, like that the shepherds looked, saw, like that baby was the shepherd that was promised here in Ezekiel 34. Okay. That's who he is. What does he do? Sometimes you read um, passages in the Old Testament and you're surprised they're not in the New Testament. Does that ever happen to you guys? I mean, this passage, um, it, it just, it's, it's, you know, we almost think like it's shocking that God in the Old Testament can be so tender and gentle. But you know, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the unchanging, always for, and for, you know, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow God of the Old Testament. And what we find here is that his character, his, his love for his people is unchanging. This is what God says to the lost, the hurt, the oppressed. This is what he says. 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and will strengthen the weak. The fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God gathers the scattered. He takes a fractured community and he restores it. He makes it whole again under his leadership. You know, that God properly cares for his people. He executes justice for the oppressed. He, he takes a hurting community, he binds their wounds, and he gives them finally and totally good pasture. You know, the words, I will, those two words, I will, occur 20 times in these 15 verses. That is a lot. And it's as if to say, God's, like, it's, it's God confirming, like, what they have Failed to do, I will surely do. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will do these things. I will be the good shepherd that you need. You know, Jesus picks up these exact same themes in chapter 10 of the the, um, Gospel of John when he says, um, I am the good shepherd. And then he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's like, whatever they need, I will care for them. I will go even to death to care for them. I will be the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. And of course, that is exactly what he did. You know what else Jesus does? He says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold, and I will bring them also. He gathers the scattered. He gathers the disenfranchised. He gathers those on the fringes, and he brings them into his family. He gathers those that are wounded, just like um, is promised here in Ezekiel 34. Jesus Christ is the true shepherd, and he will truly guide the flock of God. You know, sometimes um, I feel like Um, we preach things and we say things that feel a little bit out of touch with real life. Um, We believe as Christians that Jesus fulfills this prophecy perfectly and totally. And yet, we also know that these things aren't quite true, are they? I mean, even in the church, like there are a lot of people that are hurt and lost and and broken and oppressed. Like, those things are real. So, like, how does Jesus fulfill these? What's going on? Well, um, there's a concept that, like, it's just really important that you put, like, in your toolbox. Um, and I'm going to explain that concept to you, but I'm going to tell you first why we need it. Well, because if we, because we can be tempted to take these promises and think that they only refer to our feelings. That is to say, Jesus, you know, the shepherd will heal our pain a.k.a. just our emotional pain or like our mental pain, where we, so we'll just feel at peace. Or, or we'll say, you know, um, maybe we, we are abused or oppressed, or, and we say, you know, I'm not going to feel oppressed because Jesus is my shepherd, so, and he, I know that he liberates me, so I'm free from this oppression. Although you're not actually, it's just a feeling of freedom, and that's it. Well, actually, these promises... Are, are much bigger than our feelings. These promises are much bigger than our emotional health. There, there is a time that is coming well, when the Lord himself will actually heal our broken bodies. 
He will actually um, heal our like oppression. He will actually do that. Those things, not just our, you know mentally, really and truly in this world. And so the concept that we need to hang on to, that we need to put in our toolbox, is this: it's what theologians call, and hang with me, the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. And this is what that means. It means that in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, these promises are already true, right? So we really can experience healing. We really can experience uh, freedom. We really can. So they're already true, and yet they have not yet, that's the not yet, we have, they have not yet reached their fullest expression, okay? So our experience of them now will, is only confirming that which is to come. And so Jesus fulfills this passage in his life on this earth. But there's also a time coming when we will have a more, a fuller experience of his shepherding in that, the life that is to come in his advent, second advent. You know, I don't, um, let me conclude with this. I'm running out of time here. Um, I don't, uh, I don't read poetry. I don't. I just, you know, um, I struggle to appreciate it, honestly. I've tried. I've really tried. Um, But sometimes I read authors who do appreciate poetry, and then I get to benefit. And so um, this past week I was reading a book um, in which the author quotes a poem um, by the poet James Wright. And in the poem, in the way that poets are able to do, just kind of say things simply, but yet draw this profundity that we maybe the rest of us miss. Um, he describes looking out his window and seeing a bird, um, like a little blue jay, hopping on a, on a branch, on a little twig outside of his window. And uh, James Wright, he, he makes the comment in his poem, he says that the bird can be so taken by delight in that moment because he knows that that branch will not break. He's able to be taken with with the light because he knows the branch will not break. Now, that seems like really simple. That itself is a picture of Advent for us. It's a picture of the meaning of Advent, of what we're doing here. Like, we can look at these promises here in Ezekiel 34, and we can know that they are a branch that will not break. Right? Because two th- why? Because 2,000 years ago, we had a shepherd who came to this earth and was born in Bethlehem, and his advent, his coming, is a promise that will not break, that he will come again. And he will usher in the, the, the not yet fully realized, um, pro- these, these, the not fully, fully realized um, uh, extent of these promises. And if we put our two feet onto that promise, onto that unbreakable branch, we can, like that blue jay, experience joy. We can, we can surrender to the Lord, surrender ourselves to, to being sheep, like stop trying to be wolves, stop trying to control everything and be the true sheep of the true shepherd. We have a shepherd um, who sought the lost, who healed the sick, and who will one day complete his work when he comes again. And he will be our good shepherd.